Welcome to Parkview, where the pastors have doubts and the band sings the chain smokers. Was that awesome or what? Come on. I love my church. The, the, the deal with this is we are trying to be realistic, and these are the questions that people are asking. And to be, to be honest, the last thing we want to do is to get up and act like we've got all the answers figured out. I tell you this all the time, but if you ever meet a, a Christian that thinks they have it all figured out, just walk away, run away. Don't go to their church. Don't, don't, don't be friends with them because they're, 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 they're crazy, all right? I'm just telling you right now, you know, they got their little charts, they got everything figured out, but no, they're crazy because we can't figure out the mind of God. That's my intro, all right? I want you to understand that. I want you to understand as we head into today that, um, that we're going to disagree about some things theologically. The three of us uh, pastors who are going to be up here disagree on some things theologically. That's all well and good. We're going to do this together. We're going to do this journey together, and we welcome you to be a part of it. So if you just walked in, just wandered in, you just flipped on the internet. Um, we're doing a, a little bit different today. We were in this series about skepticism, about skeptics wanted, and we've talked about the Bible, and we've talked about God, and we thought, you know what, we just want to do a week where we answer your questions. So you have texted in over a hundred different questions, and we've compiled them, and we'll get through as many as we can get through in the time that we have, and try, try to answer those questions. Some of them are going to be questions that will, will be answered in other sermons coming up, so we didn't necessarily, I mean, we're going to have a sermon on prayer coming up in November, so some of those questions we're going to put off. But this is just a way of us trying to hear you and have a conversation, and it will be a lot of fun. Um, first of all, though, let me ask how many of you saw on social media the uh, cross-raising at our new Linux campus. Pretty awesome, wasn't it? I mean, just kind of symbolic of uh, another campus is getting ready to roll <clears throat> in about 90 days. It'll be ready for Christmas. Actually, looks like we're ahead of schedule. God has been good, and it's at Schoolhouse in Gallagher. I'd invite you to go go down there and uh, and drive by it, getting ready to rock and roll with that one. So Todd Clark, uh, one of our teaching pastors, Casey Tigret, and myself are going to be up on stage trying to help you with the questions of your faith. Um, you know, hopefully not getting in too much trouble with the things that we say and trying to help you as best we can. Now, you got to understand, sometimes when people try to help, they make things worse. So uh, here's my video, soccer players versus stretchers, and it'll kind of set us up. We'll get the guys out. Here you go. All right, so um, take it away, man. You're, you're, you're in the middle. <laughs> well, they, these guys have asked me to try and moderate some between them. So pray for me yeah. while we're doing this. And I need to say, um, we'll talk about this at the end, but um, this will be last time we have Casey up here for a while because he's, uh, he's leaving us. He's got a cool, uh, a cool gig. He's going to be the lead teaching pastor for Heartland Community Church in Rockford, and we are excited for him to get a chance to go do that. And um, really, I really am. And we're going to miss you, man. We're going to miss you a lot, but we're, we're really excited for what God's going to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, and I think, I mean, we didn't do this in any other service, but I think it's probably good that we talk about why I'm really leaving. I, I think we can. I, I, I think we can. Okay. Can right I, now? can I just, so yeah, you're a moderator, I, I, think, I just want to deviate. Yeah, it's just, yeah. I finally realized I cannot compete with Todd's hair. Um, <laughs> okay. this guy, okay. Nobody Malibu can. Ken over okay. here, I don't first, know, man. <laughs> I'm first, out. First question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thanks for that. Uh, I feel you, bro. Uh, I feel you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> now that we have that out of the way, uh, we did get, you know, tons and tons of questions, well over 100 questions from you guys, and so let's, let's dive in, one, just dive in deep. One of the 
Yeah. Big questions from a lot of you guys at Parkview uh, was about the, the Holy Spirit and the Trinity, God, Jesus, how do they fit together? Uh, so Tim, Casey, you want to dive into that and just how do you untangle, how, if you're with a friend or somebody, how do you explain the Holy Spirit? Hmm. Wow. Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, a lot of these questions. Next question. Yeah. <laughs> he was answering the Too question. Too hard. Skip it. Um, a lot of these questions, I, I was really excited to see them because I, I love the fact that people are, you guys are concerned. You want to know these things. You're like, you're hungry to yeah. know that. And people for thousands of years have been trying to figure out this whole Trinity thing. If you go, first of all, if you go looking for the word Trinity in the Bible, it's not there. Um, it's a word that was built to try and describe something that's pretty indescribable. It's amazing and it's beautiful and it's good, and it's, but it's a mystery. And it's the fact that God appears in the Bible as three persons. And so they started talking about being one being and three persons. We see God as God the Father and the Creator. We see God as Jesus the Son. We see God in the Holy Spirit. The Celts call it the wild goose, the Holy Spirit that just moves wherever it's going to move. And so people who follow Jesus and who are part of the Christian tradition said, how do we talk about this? Because we even see Jesus talking about my Father and talking about the Spirit. And all of these are parts of what God is doing. And so that's what the Trinity is. Now, there are tons, you Google this, don't Google it, but if you were to Google it, uh, there are tons of different ways people try to explain it. They're like, well, God is like an egg, and there's a yolk, and there's a shell, and there's a white, and that's, and some yeah. of those are okay, and then they break down. I feel like, but um, Ching. Yeah, they, yeah, they crack. They crack. Yeah. They, 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 there's several illustrations like that, too. <laughs> this is, this, let me just explain it this way. It's like my parents trying to talk about a computer, Okay. I'm sorry, Mom, but, you know, it's if like... If you're watching, you're, we're sorry. Of course, yeah. they don't have a wireless mouse yet, you know, so it's like, you know, I moved that thing with the wire on it, and, and this happens, and there's that, that screen thingy there, and, you know, and, and, and they still have, you know, computer with disk drives, you know, so they, they, don't understand how, they don't understand how it works. I don't understand how it works. We don't understand how the Trinity works. You're going to find some people that can explain computers to you pretty well. There's not a human being that has ever lived that is still living today that can explain to us who God is. Yeah. So, so all we can do is take a shot at, at trying to help, you know, understand it. That's where the Trinity came yeah. from. Yeah, yeah. And what about this, staying in that just kind of, you know, mystical, uh, mysterious, unseen world uh, for a little bit and, and talk about uh, eternity, afterlife. One of the big questions from a lot of folks at Parkview was, what happens to a person right after they die? So five seconds, 20 seconds, two minutes after you die, yeah. what happens to, your, to you immediately after death? Yeah. For, for, for me, that? the biggest part of that, the simplest answer to that, We've been joking about the matrix a little bit um, as we've been doing this along the way. The important thing to realize is that time is here only. There is no time. This is deep, but there is no time outside of the realm where we're in right now, okay? So after you die, one, one second after you die could be a million years from now because it doesn't matter. There is no time constraint. Yeah. What the Bible tells us, you can jump in on that. What yeah, do we yeah. know about one second after we die. We have yeah. a lot of Catholics coming from a purgatory question sure, kind yeah. of a deal. Yeah. yeah. The idea of the, there being a like stopover place, a, a purgatory, a place where you go to pay for what you did here. Well, as our tradition, we believe that Jesus paid for all that and there's no extra like working it off in the gym kind of stuff that goes on. <laughs> um, but I get it. Like this is a human and this was my greatest doubt. I, what happens after that? Because nobody can tell you. And we don't, we don't have we're not comfortable with the uncertain. 
And so anything yeah. that we can't grasp yeah. or know just bothers the tar out of us. So what we do know is that it's, the scriptures say it's been appointed once for us to die, and then after that there's a judgment. And we kind of hear that, we're like, ooh, judgment. But a judge both declares innocent and guilty. A, a judge just sorts things out. And so what we do know is that everything that happens outside, after our heart stops beating, belongs to God. And it's not under our control anymore. And so we sort of go into this place where if I'm trusting God with myself, and this is where I've gotten to with this doubt, is if I'm trusting God with myself, whatever happens after I stop breathing is, yeah. is what happens. And I can trust him with that. And, you know, I know there are tons of books where, about going and coming back, but they all came back. Yeah. Like, so they didn't yeah. go so all the way know. in. You know, it I makes a ton know. of money, but they didn't go through the whole experience. So there's still some parts of that that's left unknown. But when I get on a plane... I want to know where I'm going. I have WorldMate app on my, you know, and, and I know where I'm going. And, and when I land, I want to know what hotel I'm going to. I want to know yeah. which rental car place I'm going to. I mean, this is all happening today. Yeah. When I go on a missions trip, I know that Sean has figured everything out, and we're going as a team, and I pay no attention to any of that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I trust, I trust Sean. It's not yeah. always a good idea, but I trust Sean. <laughs> And, and so I never look at my phone. Yeah. It, are we gonna Are yeah. we gonna trust that God has the best yeah. thing for yeah. us when we go? So He'll get us. He's gonna get us to he's that gonna, good place. Yeah. He's in charge of yeah. the yeah. the group tour, yes. so to speak. Also, right. if you're taking notes today, if you want to write down uh, Luke chapter 16 and read a little bit about this, Luke chapter 16 in the Bible is a place where Jesus tells a story about these two people, uh, a really rich guy and a beggar. Uh, named Lazarus, and they die on the same day at the same time, basically, and they both go to two different places, a good place and a bad place, and it kind of gives us maybe some insight mm -hmm. into what things look like, you know, five or ten seconds after you die, Luke chapter 16, it, it talks about we're aware, it talks about it's, it seems immediate, mm -hmm. uh, it, it talks about it's, it's, it's permanent, it's good or bad, it's permanent. Not a yeah. switch over, yeah, not you a place can't, you can go in you between. You can't go from one side to the other, yeah. and, and so and maybe Luke chapter 16 would be good. And, and as we get into that, Luke chapter 16, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of these gospels in the Bible, the first part of the New Testament, there were a lot of questions about just the... Uh, who actually wrote those? Did Matthew actually write Matthew and Luke and mm -hmm. so on and so forth? And, and what about and, some of the discrepancies? And did God write it all? I mean, how, how did, did we God know write it all through them? Yeah. What about some of the inconsistencies or the discrepancies, yeah. especially in the Gospels, mm -hmm. in, in the New Testament of the Bible? So either yeah. one of you guys want to tackle that? No, yeah. I want you to. Yeah. Okay. It'd be good to yeah. hear from you. Casey's going to uh, yeah. tackle that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, and I would love to hear your opinion on this. Um, when you think about a police investigation, some of you might be police officers, you would get this. If you have three witnesses who saw the same thing, chances are they're all going to tell you roughly the same story with a few little different nuances there. If they tell you the same story, someone's paying them. Mm -hmm. So you have to look into that. But you want, there needs to be a different perspective. And so, you know, we get really antsy in the Bible when it's the Jesus story because that's an important story. We, we do need to get the Jesus story right or else everything else pretty much falls apart. And so you've got these four guys writing about the same time period and about the same things that happened, but they're writing from their perspectives, and they're also writing to different groups of people. And so that's why there seems like there's some of these inconsistencies, but they're all necessary. 
to see different sides of what Jesus was doing and who he was, how he lived, how he functioned, and, and then that also helps it to make different impacts on us. So I don't yeah. know if that makes sense no, I think to it, you. No, I, I think it does, right? You know, with the different uh, viewpoints and mm-hmm. different people seeing the same event in a different way, that would happen. Yeah, if, one of the gospel writers has a feeding of the 4,000, and one of right. them has feeding of the 5,000. Mm-hmm. So what is right. that? Right. Well, maybe one of them miscounted, or maybe Jesus <laughs> did it twice. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we, you know, you can't yeah. just assume that that's a screw-up just because there's two yeah. different things in there. And one of the other big questions uh, that we've had, Parkview, is so what supports that, though? Yeah. Is there really, one of the direct questions from you was, is there any literal proof of the authenticity of the Bible? And to that point, uh, I would share with you that like when you start looking at ancient literature, they go back to these original manuscripts and that's how we kind of validate ancient literature. And if you take some of these pieces of paper, like let me, let me take your notes here, Tim. Let, there's, let's say there's five or seven pieces of paper here. As you look at like some of Caesar's writings or some of Plato's writings or Aristotle's writings that we study in college, we have three or four manuscripts or some of them we have seven mm-hmm. manuscripts yeah. for like Aristotle. If we had seven manuscripts from him, and we would study it in college. We would, you know, uh, as if it was his true writings. Nobody questions. Nobody the questions of it. Those. Yes. So here's here's the thing I want you to see. And we're bringing out these stacks of paper. This is this is twenty thousand pieces of paper. Uh, all these reams of paper. When it comes to the Bible, we don't have five or six or ten or twenty ancient manuscripts. We have around twenty thousand ancient manuscripts. Yeah for the Bible, pieces and fragments and things like that. So, so the deal with the Bible is this, any of your friends or family members who say, you know, you just can't trust the Bible. Well, if you, I get that. I understand why somebody would say that, but here's the thing. If you can't trust the Bible, then you can't trust really any ancient literature. Mm, You have to kind of throw it all out because of the way we, you know, uh, verify things. So five or six pieces compared to, you know, uh, 20,000 pieces. Not a document, ancient document comes anywhere close to the Bible in how many, how, how many proofs that we have for well, that. Well, if you want to get, or get in the weeds and kind of dig around a little bit, what that also does, that huge stack of manuscripts lets us compare them. Right. So you take the same text, you compare them to each other, and if you've got 12 and all 11 of them say one thing, then that, that's huge evidence for, hey, this is where everybody landed at that particular time when it was being written. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we get our translations is you compare all these manuscripts together and say, okay, 20 manuscripts, 19 out of 20, pretty sure they said this. Yeah. So yeah. Let's, let's use that for our translation. And people have asked about the translations also. But, you, you know, I mean, what that is is the Old Testament was put together in Hebrew, the New Testament was put together in Greek, and your translation, sometimes you hear me read a different translation, it's, it's people saying this is what that means, all right? If you, if you want to know the pure Bible, you're going to have to learn Greek and Hebrew like, you know, brainiac over there on the other side and you're going to have to be able to you know decipher what those words mean or you buy a computer like brainiac over here and you look it up on your little logos program but either way that's how we end up with all the translations and 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 yeah they may say some things differently but they're all based on the same thing they're all coming back to the same thing that's been proven over and over yeah what about this guys uh staying with the bible staying with the manuscripts the very first book in the bible Mm. Yeah. Uh, the book of Genesis, uh, whether you've been in church a little bit or a lot, you, you know the book of Genesis, you've heard the book of Genesis, it's kind of where we start building from, really. And there were a lot of questions about uh, creation versus evolution and how Genesis works, and was there really an Adam and Eve? 
all sorts of things surrounding that. You want to? Yeah, I mean, I, this is one I've, if you've been around here, you've heard me talk about it. I went kind of nuts when I finally, I grew up in Oklahoma in the 60s and 70s, and went? evolution was. Is that was, past tense? Went kind of yeah, nuts? Yeah, I kind of okay. went nuts. You got over it, um, though. I got, I, 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 I'm much clearer headed now. Well, I mean, really, I am, because I, I, I got all excited when I finally learned about some science that helps us to understand creation and some ways to explain how things could be. Like, you know, you mentioned yesterday that if, if the atmosphere was different in Adam and Eve's day, then could Methuselah have lived to be 965 years old? Sure. If the atmosphere was different, that things could be different and dinosaurs could be big and all those different things could happen if things were different. But, but the most important thing, and, and I took it way too far. I got, I got really into it and then acted like I was a scientist. And then I started alienating people who were actual scientists, actual scientists. Yeah. Yeah. and they were like no 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 wait that's weak and I'm yeah. like oh, no it's not you know and I take my ball and run home so so what, what what I figured out is this is not a matter of this is not a matter of salvation all right I believe in Adam and Eve I believe in six literal days why because um a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. And again, if you take God into a different matrix area and there is no time, then it could be whatever. It could be a million years that is a day to God. I mean, there's just too many things that we can't try to figure out. Yeah. But one of the things that was fascinating to me was that we don't read the Bible well enough. You know, I, I found it wasn't until I was in my doctoral work that I found out there's a, there's a dinosaur scripture in the Bible. Let me just show you, okay? Um, here, here it is. Put it up on the screen. Job 40. Look at the behemoth. We don't know what a behemoth is. It's a being of some kind. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. All right. I know you think Genesis is, but, but as far as how old it, when it was written, Job was the oldest. Okay. So when Job is writing this, look at this being, this behemoth. He eats grass like an ox. His strength is in his hips. Hips don't lie. And his power is in his That's stomach in muscles. No, that, that, that was a translation. Do you yeah. see that? That's how that goes. The hips don't okay. lie. And he moves his, look at this, he moves his tail like a cedar. Yeah, like a tree. Like a tree. Do you like know any being that lives today that has a tail like a tree? I mean, what does that make you think of? It makes you think of Jurassic Park, right? I mean, think about this. His sinews of his thighs, the bones are, are like beams of bronze. His ribs are like bars of iron. He is the first in the ways of God. Seems like this is describing, to me, a dinosaur. There's also a, a water being in, in here called the Leviathan, and, and it sounds like Nessie, yeah, you it know? It sounds, like, it sounds like Loch Ness Monster, you know? And, and, and so what I'm saying is we were told that dinosaurs and man didn't exist. Then all of a sudden down in Texas, they find a footprint of a man next to a footprint of a dinosaur, and everybody's like, oh, maybe they did. I can't tell you one way or the other, but don't tell me that because the Bible doesn't talk about dinosaurs, it's not true. Yeah. There are dinosaurs in there. Yeah. Well, how do they get dinosaurs on the ark? They got little ones. <laughs> Baby dinosaurs, right? Babies. 90% of the fossils we find from, from dinosaurs, are the, they're the size of a chicken. They weren't all T-Rexes, okay? So it, I'm just saying, a lot of times we're not reading it like we ought to. Yeah. On the other hand, do we think that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are historical documents to try to give us the beginning of the world? No. I don't. Yeah. I don't think Revelation is a historical document about how things are going to go at the end of the world. I don't think Jesus is going to have a sword coming out of his mouth. Right? I think there's, a, there's some figurative stuff that we have to figure out along the way. Wherever yeah. you land on that, I'm okay. Yeah. If you start within the beginning, God, yeah. everything else kind of works out.
That's yeah. good. Casey, add to that? Yeah, whenever, whenever we're teaching the Bible around here, the first thing I always start with is every one of us comes to the Bible with our own lenses. And we live in a culture that, you know, science is a big deal for us. Mm. Think about this. We have a science that's only right like 50% of the time, and we still look at it on our phones yeah. when we go and check every the day. weather. Yeah, every day. And, um, and so we have this scientific bias. And so when we come to the Bible and we have this scientific knowledge, we're <coughs> like, well, then the Bible's got to make sense there. But the people who wrote Genesis, that wasn't their deal. No. I mean, they didn't have... They didn't have telescopes for crying out loud. They just wanted to write the story of how their people and how God put the whole world into, into order. And so I think sometimes we make Scripture lower than science by making it try to fit what we've found out today. And that doesn't mean we toss it. It just means you've got to understand what that book was there for in the first place. It's like reading a novel and going, well, that never happened. Of course it never happened. It's a fictional story. So, but this is not a fictional story. It's just the way some people are putting together how God designed all things, where they all came from. And so maybe if you have friends, too, who uh, maybe you wrestle with this, too, and the creation and the days and how did God do it in six days and the literal days like Tim talked about. One of the things I would ask you and I've had asked to me or you could ask to a friend is, do you believe that God is big enough to create the whole world yeah. in six seconds if he wanted to? Mm. I mean, if he wanted to create it in six seconds, is he that big, Parkview? Mm. Yes. Can you do that? Yeah. Pro- probably yes. so. Yes. What yes. about yes. if he wanted to create the world in 6,000 years? Could he create it in 6,000 years if he wanted to? Mm. Sure. So it's not so much that we're arguing about how fast he could do it or how slow he could do it or, oh gosh, he couldn't complete it that quickly. Right. It's, I think, part of the reason we have that in Genesis, and to your point of the six days, the way I take it, is because God's also given us a rhythm for our creating and for our lives. You go to the book of Exodus chapter 20 and the book of Exodus chapter 31, it talks about you know how uh, God created in six days and then he rested on the seventh day and that we're supposed to do the same thing. You work and you create and, and you do things for six days and then you rest for a day. If God said, you know, work for six seconds and then rest for one second or work for 6,000 years and rest for 1,000 years, that would be a weird work week. Yeah. Right? It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense with our lives, but the, the six days of work and a day off. And, and so maybe that's one way to just kind of get our minds around, to, to your guys' point, this God that is so far beyond us. But that's one way to kind of just... Me, let me throw one more thing in, and you're going to say yes because it's my church. Um, <laughs> you, when you, when you, uh, see, you're going to get to do this. You. You you're going to get to do this starting you next week. This yeah, week. you can do this next okay. week. Shut up. I've lost complete control. <laughs> One of the things that, that Can I go get a coffee? like you're talking about, we'll like here. they didn't, they only had a certain amount of understanding back in, you know, in that day. I, I, I'd forgotten about this, but back when Abraham has promised descendants, he has promised descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore. I love this. And you got to understand back in their day when they didn't have telescopes, they literally thought there were 10,000 stars in the sky yeah. because that's all you can see to the naked eye, you know, and in Chicago, there's like Two planets and one star is all we can see to the naked eye, right? But, but if you're out in the boonies, you can see 10. And people, back in those days, they would be like, this, does, this passage of Scripture doesn't make any sense because we can see all of the sand, but there's only 10,000 stars. And then science caught up with the Bible, and now we know that there are literally as many stars in the sky as there are sand on the seashore. And the Bible was true way before we ever knew it. Yeah, yeah. I love that stuff. Yeah. I'm done. 
Okay, I was going to ask if you're done. Thank can you. We, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> Very respectful of you. Respect Let's, your elders, right? Respect your elders, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's definitely there. Um, so let's move on from the Bible and some of those things in Genesis to talk about free will. There's a lot of questions about free will and predestination and how does that work? You know, do we really get a choice if God already knows where things are going to end up? Uh, Casey, talk about that. Yeah. Well, it, it's trying to make sense of two things we see in the Bible. One is we see a lot of people making choices, making decisions for God, against God, for people or against people. But then we also hear this language in a, in a book called Romans where Paul says, those he foreknew, he also predestined. And so theologians, people who have been talking about what God does and doesn't do all through history have been trying to make sense of God knows everything in advance that, and he's predestined some of these things to happen. And some people have taken that so far as to say he knows who's going to heaven and he's going, he knows who's going to hell. And that's, those are two versions, single and double yeah, predestination. Put my, put my far side up there. Yeah, some people think it's Some people God think, like uh, this. you know, this is it. God's going to hit the smite button. <laughs> yeah. I have a smite button on my computer. I never <laughs> use it, though. I taped it over. Um, so it's trying to make sense of those two things. And the way I've talked about it is because you're trying to make sense. If God is who we think he is, then of course God knows everything that's going to happen. But if we also believe in things like prayer, we feel like God is asking us to make certain choices. Can we make a choice to follow him? Or is it totally out of our hands and it's just going to happen no matter what and all of that? And I like to talk about it like a movie. And if you go to a movie with a friend who's already seen it, if they're not an annoying person, that's a key thing. Uh, and they don't tell you all the parts, oh, watch this, watch what's happening. But instead, they just let you experience it. They know where you're going to scream, they know where you're going to cry, and they know where you're going to laugh. And they let you experience it from beginning to end. I think that's what God is doing with us, is that God has seen the whole movie of humanity already finished to the end. And now he's coming back into time with us and experiencing with us as we go. Because there are places, you know, Moses prays in the Bible and God actually changes his mind. Mm -hmm. How do you do that if you've already set everything in place and nobody can fix it? Well, it's because you knew that was going to happen. Mm -hmm. You saw that part of the movie as it developed. So it's trying to make sense of two different things. And you know, God is big enough to bring free will into his plan. He's yeah. big enough to let that happen. I, so I, we do believe, have a choice. <clears throat> right. At the end of the day, I believe in, we, we believe in freedom of choice, yeah. okay? I mean, wherever you want to land on, you know, everything else, I believe that we make a choice. That's why we do everything that we do is because we believe that you need to make a choice. I have the Bruce Almighty theology of, of God and who he is. And we remember that movie, you know, when Jim Carrey's trying to get Jennifer Aniston to love him, he has power to do everything else except get her to love him. And that is the one thing that God could not do because that's not love. If, if God forces us to love him, then we're robots. We're his pets at best. But, but we've given, he gave us freedom of will in the garden to follow him and freedom of will now to follow him. And he knows what decision we're going to make. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I still am in, 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 the, in the direction of my own destiny. It is my, it is my choice. Yeah. How does God know those things, right? It's like his perspective is different, right? We've talked about he's bigger. It's like if you go to a parade downtown Chicago, and if you're standing on the curb watching the parade from our vantage point, we see it, you know, sequentially. If you were up in the Goodyear blimp or something like that watching the parade in mm -hmm. Chicago, you would see the beginning of the parade and the end of the parade from your vantage point in the blimp. 
Yeah. It's a whole different view depending on your perspective on events. And God, listen, God just has a different view yeah. of time and space than we do that allows him to, to know things that, that we don't. What about this, guys? Uh, what about in the Bible, all the different miraculous uh, things that happen, you know, and all the extraordinary events? How do you explain those uh, to people or how do you understand those yourself? You know, the walking on water, the parting of the Red Sea, mm-hmm. you know, virgin birth, all of these crazy miraculous things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I, I think there's a couple ways. One is when we look at things like uh, the example I would take is the resurrection. You know, typically around here, people when they die, they stay dead. And so for us, we're like, wow, that's weird. Uh, but there's this whole the story of Jesus rising from the dead has been around for 2,000 years. More than that, there's this group of people that told it, and they were close enough to know the difference. And not only did they tell that story, they also died for that story. So if you don't believe something happened, first of all, you're not going to spread it. Second of all, you're not going to give your life for it. Mm. And so they were close enough to this to watch it actually happen. And, um, you know, there were people who doubted that. There were guys in Jesus' inner circle who doubted that. They were like, you know, one of them, Thomas, said, I've got to put my fingers, I've got to put my fingers in his wounds before I believe this Mm. happened. And some of them, you know, they heard the tomb was empty and people were telling them he's gone. And they're like, eh, still, I don't know. So there's still that doubt about that miraculous moment because, you know, dead people just don't come back to life. Uh, but there's, these, there's this history of people buying into that. And I think that connects with some of the other miracles where the, if these things happen, if God can raise somebody from the dead, multiplying bread and fish pretty much within his job description. Walking on water, uh, healing blind people, all of that stuff, all that stuff is within his capability. And there's that mystery to it, I get it, because we don't, we don't know how that happens. It's supernatural. They call it supernatural for a yeah. reason. And, and again, you know, again, it's the whole thing that goes together. In the beginning, God, and in the end, me and God, you know, if that's, if that's the story, yeah. then everything in between has to make, it, it, it doesn't matter what God wants to do. Yeah. I believe he created everything. I believe I'm going to go be with him. He's going to be with me. We're going to be together. So everything in between. And the other problem is, if, you know, so again, how could the, why could the virgin birth not happen? I mean, if God created the birthing process in the first place, why could he not superimpose it and, and go in and do something different? The other problem is when you start changing them, you know, a lot of liberal scholars, somebody asked about the Red Sea, you know, the children of Israel are going to go across the Red Sea, and some scholars will tell you, well, they went through this really shallow area of the Red Sea, they just really walked across the Red Sea. Okay, that's fine, but the Egyptian army drowned behind them. Did they all just like trip and fall over face down and they couldn't get back up again? And they all drowned? I mean, you can't, you can't like start changing one little part without the whole thing falling apart, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah and, and that's what where you take that on faith and these miraculous things that we can't, uh, we can't, under, we can't understand, yeah. Uh, what, what about this? Here's a huge question that came in several different ways from lots of people. This is really what everybody wants to know today, and that is, do our pets go to heaven? Where do our pets go? Do our animals go to heaven? Do we get to bring them with us? Oh, uh, wait a minute. You got this? After seven and a half years, I think I can answer this for you. Yes, all of them but cats. Right? Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that the part you answer? I've been, I, I've been I'm mentored. Not, I'm not sure about guinea pigs either, but um, <laughs> all dogs go to heaven. Guinea pigs? They, 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 what, what did they ever do to you? Yeah, right. <laughs> I've right. eaten them in oh, Ecuador. Okay, okay. That's the problem, okay? Wow. Um, 
they no, eat them is, in South listen, America. Listen, listen, there's there are a lot of I've this is an emotional things too. Okay, <laughs> well, you um, are from Oklahoma, so yeah. He, right, here's right. what they teach in every seminary in the in the country. Every seminary in the country, they teach you to say yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. Pets go to the heaven. answer is yes. <laughs> Okay. Why do they teach you that? Because, you know, I mean, really, seriously, you gotta, what, what, what difference does it make? I mean, theologically, you, gotta, you, you can break it down and go, okay, do, you know, do your pets get a chance to know Jesus? And do they need their, do they have a soul even and all those kinds of things? But the truth of the matter is there are Bible, there are animals in, in the next life, in the new heaven and the new earth. There are animals there, and God, God is, everything is going to be better in the next place. So to tell people no just makes them think, well, then I don't want to go there. It's the same thing as the answer of marriage. Somebody came to Jesus and said, are we going to be married in heaven? And he said, no, you're not going to be married in heaven. And, and, and for some of you, you're like, excited about that. Right, 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 right. But, 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 <laughs> for, for very few people. But, but for me, for you, you know, not. Well, for no. my wife, let's just right. do it that way. For my wife, it would be like, oh, man, are you you kidding me? And yeah, he's digging. <laughs> the pins, I want. I want to be married to Tim forever. That's what she says. And it just like heaven. <laughs> that's a country we song. Can, we can happen, write a country song. It's a country song. This is a country happen. song. Come on. I'm just like heaven. Okay. Uh, okay. So it. Well, the problem is, it's the Chuck E. Cheese theology issue, okay? Chaz threw this one at us. It's like you're five years old. The best thing in your life that you want to do is go to Chuck E. Cheese, right? You grow up. You have kids. The worst thing that you want to do in your life yeah. is go to Chuck E. Cheese. Am I right? It's a big Petri dish. It, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a big Petri dish, yeah. exactly. So what the problem is, is that heaven is an adult idea, okay? Not in that way, but you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an idea that can only be absorbed by people when we get there. So yeah, you, you think, well, how can I not be married? How can my pets not be there? You don't understand. It's going to be so much better than everything else that all of the emotions, all of the love that you've had for your pets and, and your spouse and anything else in this world is going to be magnified a hundred times over yeah. and it's all going to be good. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's, and, and it, for us, I think you started to talk about this a little bit, but it's that helpful thing of realizing when the Bible talks about heaven, it never talks about us going there. It talks about it coming here, and that whole idea of renewed creation. And so if there are creatures in creation now, there will be creatures then. They'll just have better manners. No possums will actually be nice. You know, they won't sneer at you all the time. Um, but I think creation is going to be rebooted and recreated, so I don't yeah. see any reason why yeah. pets wouldn't be there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good answer, and I think... You've you got something sarcastic waiting there. No, I'm trying... I, I can see it, I'm right? I'm trying not the, to think he's, about He's trying it. to figure out how you've been doing this for this long. And <laughs> right. like, how have you done this? No, what I'm thinking is, you know, when I come in, I'm thinking when I come into town to, to preach and stay here, I end up staying at your house a lot of times, yeah. and... I think you. I think our family needs a dog. Yeah, that's what he. That's what he told <laughs> us. We need to get a dog. He, because he, like normally he's in my house and I'm gone somewhere, teaches somewhere else or whatever. He he rolled in the in the house. He's like, hey, what are you guys doing in my house? <laughs> and uh, and then he started in on Denise. We need a hot tub. We need a dog. You know all. Uh, it, it, and, he, and so far he's doing pretty good. That's what I just. Yeah. Said. We actually borrowed a dog last night yeah. and we're having we're having good fun. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, it's a good time. Okay, let's I'm move glad on. You're here. You're helping my cause. <laughs> let's move on from that a little a little different than the pet thing but still super emotional and the pet question is very emotional Absolutely. for yeah. people because yeah. we love our pets and animals Man. and so yeah. that's that is a super emotional question but here's another really emotional one for people and that is the idea of doubts 
Let me just hit this quick because I want to I want to keep going. Yeah, I hope you will. Uh, um, the easiest way for me to answer this thing about doubts, you heard us talk about the doubts at the beginning that we still have, and I didn't even get to mention all of the rest of them. I mean, how about the doubts of what if I'm wrong, and I've been teaching all of you people wrong all this time. I mean, it gets magnified. The easiest way for me to help you to understand this is that John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, and Jesus said, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And as far as we know, John the Baptist went to his death without answered prayer and with huge doubts in his mind about whether Jesus was the Messiah. So we want you to know that we all have doubts. Uh, the Tillich quote, you know, it's, a, it, it, it's not the opposite of faith when you have doubts. It's, an, it's a part of faith. It's a part of what's going on. And, and I think what's important to me, because those of you from a younger generation, that's why we wanted to do the chain smokers and we wanted to be honest about our doubts and, and do this kind of stuff. All, at the end of the day, all we can do is, is say, God, don't let me down. Don't let me down. That, that's it. I need you. Yeah. And I have mustard seed of faith yeah yeah and so, doubts doubts are not a christian thing doubts are a human thing yeah doesn't matter if you're a christian or not you have doubts yeah. about things so to be a christian and have doubts would make sense what about this tattoos you ever have doubts about tattoos can a christian have tattoos well, should people yeah. have tattoos um there's two of them in here that we got. I mean, and the other was polygamy in the Old Testament. Um, yeah. And why is there polygamy in the Old Testament and not in the New Testament? Why is there polygamy in the Old Testament? It's because God loves women. And, and, and he wanted to take care of the females of the, of, the, of the tribes. And they had no way to take care of themselves because there was no way for a woman to have a job. So he had to allow polygamy so that women could be taken care of because he loves them. In the New Testament, there's neither male nor female in Christ, and, and you know, it, polygamy doesn't make any sense today, but because this is the way he had it set up. He wanted, that, what I'm saying is Old Testament versus New Testament. Tattoos, same thing. I've, I've got one. What's forbidden? It says, you know, don't have a tattoo. Yeah, right after it says, don't eat meat with the blood still in it. Have you always eaten your steaks medium well? Right before it says, do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip the edges of your beard. Okay? If you've ever shaved, then you broke that commandment. I mean, what we've done is we pulled these Levitical things out and we've said, oh, well, we still, you know, the Bible says this. Well, figure out where the Bible said that and for what reason. Yeah. That's really the bottom line. Okay? The, 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 the tattoos were for the dead, and, and there, was a, there was a reason why that was going on. And Jesus brought us into a new covenant. So, no polygamy, and yes, tattoos. Yes. <laughs> and there's, it's things spider out from that, too. You know, there's a law in there about not marrying someone from another tribe. And at one yeah. point, people made that about interracial marriage yes. being sin, which is just foolishness. It's, it's absolutely not. Incorrect. It was a Levitical thing, and there's so much shame and pain caused by that. Right. But I do think the thing about it is, so we, we see the polygamy thing, and you go, okay, well, we don't do polygamy. But what the principle inside that is, is that God cares for the powerless, and so God may not want us to have multiple wives, but God wants us to take care of those who are powerless. Right. And so if it's not marrying, it's, it's maybe voting. It's yeah. maybe looking after yeah. single moms and dads. It's looking yeah. after, orphans you know, and orphans and widows, right. refugees. I mean, God wanted to protect people who were under the source of oppression. Right. And so that's the principle that's in there. So we don't, we don't want to do polygamy, but we also, I mean, maybe you do. I don't, mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not up for that, but maybe you are. <laughs> we don't want to do polygamy. We don't have to. But inside that, there's something we have that's to recover great. because it's a quality yeah. of, of yeah. God. 
great guys great great insight in in the bible in romans chapter 8 verse 28 this was a really specific question that that it says that we believe good comes to those who know and love and serve the lord Uh, but a lot of times those who know and love and serve the lord they don't always have good come to them so what's the deal with that how's that happen I'll hit this next week because I mean this is really a big part of the misunderstanding of God wants you to be happy um, that's what I'm hitting next week and um, you know, I hate to break it to you but God never said that and the Bible doesn't say that God makes good things happen to those who love the Lord the Bible says that he can bring good from the things that do happen to those who love the yeah. Lord and that is a very, very different thing. We have pain and suffering in the world because we live in a cursed world, because we live in a broken world. Because we st- so that's why we still have cancer. That's why we still have floods. That's why we still have crazy people killing other people. That's why we still have these things is because we live there. And we are not exempt from them just because we're believers. Yeah. What we know is that God can go with us. And it, good didn't happen. Just, you know, Jesus died on a cross. God sent his son to die on a cross. Don't forget, suffering is there as well, okay? But, but out of that came something good. And out of what happens to us comes something good. And that's the difference in understanding of that. Yeah. Talk about that, Casey, too. Just the, the idea of suffering. Yeah. The idea of, you know, the bad things happening to good people. Yeah. Why does God allow cancer? Yeah. One of the questions we had and suffering and things like that. Yeah, it, that's a question I've never been able to answer. Yeah. Uh, what I know is that there are things we just don't see. Back in 05, uh, we, my mother-in-law had uh, something called non-alcoholic cirrhosis and her liver began to fail. And what it did was it caused the ammonia levels in her blood to spike. And when that happens, your brain goes into an Alzheimer's dementia kind of state. And so for about a year and a half, she was constant, in need of constant care and constant supervision. And of course, we just started praying like crazy, God heal her, God heal her, God heal her. And she just continued to get worse. And we didn't know why that was happening. And we just sort of, we sat with each other. We sat in the midst of that as a family. And then we get this word from the doctors who said, well, she's actually sick enough now that we can put her on the transplant list. Mm -hmm. And she, because she kept getting sicker, kept going up and up the list. Now, listen, I know that's not everybody's story. But what we learned through that is you've got a Jesus who understands what it means to suffer, who knows what it means to go through that, and he doesn't try to explain it away. And honestly, you look at Jesus, he wasn't excited about suffering. Even at the cross, he's like, look, can we do this another way? Um, It's not about being excited about suffering. It's about knowing that on the other side of that, there is some kind of resurrection, whether it's one day or whether it's in certain ways here and now. And so we just sort of sit with each other. Give you, and then, then I'll tell you, you know, my recent illustration of my good friend who had a, a blood clot and, you know, and, and died. Yeah. And um, is now in a better place. Yeah. You know, I mean, so at, at some point, even though her husband is still having a hard time, even though we still miss her, yeah. at some point, you know, you get a new liver, you know, Lazarus gets resurrected from the dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he still died. I mean, yeah, he's this is die again. the it's not yet point. kingdom, right? This is, the, this is the whole point of the whole thing. Um, he helps us through this. Yeah. Someday, we won't have to worry about it. Yeah. I, think yeah. it I think for suffering, I mean, I know, every, I know that if I've never had the experience, but if my child had cancer, I would want an answer. But I think in the middle of that, we need less platitudes and more presence. We just need Amen. people to kind of sit with us and go, I don't know why this is happening either. And yeah. it's okay for you to be ticked off and sad and sure. doubtful, but let's just do this yeah. together. And, the, and then the, I don't know that an answer is better than yeah. that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's good. We can't understand it all the time, but we, we trust God in that mm-hmm. and try and, even in our anger, try and not blame him for this, but trust him through that and realize that it does bring us closer to him. Proximity yeah. to God is what God wants. Mm. And that suffering does bring us into proximity with him. What about this? The last question we'll have time for yeah. uh, today, guys. Uh, this was asked a lot of different ways about Jesus, several questions about Jesus, what he did, how he lived, but here's the big one. Why, why did he have to do what he did, Tim? Why did he have to die for us? I, I was explaining this last week and, and it, several of you kind of hit a light bulb moment. The, the really important principle is if God is perfect, then God has to be just. And justice can't give mercy. Justice can only give grace. In other words, if you have a traffic fine and the judge's son have a traffic fine and you both sit in the courtroom and the judge says, well, you owe me 150 bucks and you, you can go, you're free to go, that's not justice. I mean, it may happen, but that's not justice. That's, that's mercy. And you're going to walk away and go, that's not fair, and it's not fair. Grace is the judge saying, you owe me $150, and you, son, owe me $150. Here's $300. I'm paying for both of your fine. And that's why Jesus had to come. Mm-hmm. Without the shedding of blood, there could not be forgiveness for sin. Old Testament, you see the sacrificial system over and over again. People are like, we've got to kill another animal? Why, why? W- what was that all about? It was to show us how bad sin is. It was to show us how much we needed forgiveness. Bible tells us that, so that when Jesus came, we could go, man, I'm sh- this sin really is much worse than I thought it was. It really separates us from God, but all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. All comes through him. That's how justice works. And he, yeah. he is that lamb that was slain for us. Yes, that's why that's we don't all them. bring lambs and doves and animals to Parkview every weekend. Yeah, please don't. Because yeah. we don't need that anymore, right? Yeah. We don't need that anymore. He's, he's our lamb. So, Casey, with that being said, would you just, every week around here, we yeah. talk about Jesus, we talk about communion, what he did. It's a really awesome time to just slow down before we head into a new week. Yeah. And lead us into yeah. some time of just reflection on that. Sure. Uh, you have the servers go ahead and take their spots for communion. Um, we do this every week, as Todd said, and, and one of the reasons we do that is because that's what they did in the New Testament. It, we talk about in our What We Believe class, if you want to know why we do something, there's a good chance it's because the people closest to Jesus did it. And that's one of the reasons why we do it. But one of the amazing things to me about communion is um, it celebrates this time that Jesus sat down with his disciples and broke bread and then, and passed it, and then shared a cup of wine together as well. And at that table, there were these 12 guys And I think Jesus, if he had looked around that table, could have told you all of their doubts. He could have looked at Thomas and said, he's going to have to touch it. He's one of those guys, like, give me the proof. He's going to look at Peter and go, Peter's really quick to, he's a first early adopter, but he gets kind of overbearing sometimes. He looked at all those people and saw all their doubts, and he didn't kick any of them out. He said, just stay. Let me share the bread, let me share the wine with you because you belong here because this is the kind of place where you can bring those things and we can be together and we can learn what God is doing. And so I'm just grateful. One of the things that I'm most grateful about Parkview and that I've learned here is this is a place for people who have doubts, who have questions. We wouldn't do a series, like what church does a series about skepticism and say we want that? Uh, Bring your questions, bring your doubts. 
And the table, this table, it's obviously a big one now, but this table is a place where we come and we bring those things. And what we do is we either help, ask Jesus to help us become comfortable with those and embrace the ones we can't solve, or we see the answers in him through his broken body and through his shed blood. So they're going to pass the trays across here in a second. There's two cups, uh, bread in the bottom, juice in the top. Take them both and hold them. We'll all take communion together. You don't have to be a part of Parkview to do that. If you believe in Jesus and if you have doubts, you're more than welcome at the table. And as they pass, we're actually going to spend some time, the three of us, uh, sharing some scriptures that are, have been important to us in uh, times of significant doubt. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll pass the trays. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the grace you give us in the midst of all this. Thank you for uh, being the God who loves people who doubt, people who come undone, people who suffer, people who struggle. And I pray that as we take these elements together in just a moment, you'll help us understand that we belong. No matter what we know or what we don't know, we belong with you. Uh, bless us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 My scripture is uh, Matthew 7, 11. You'll hear me talk about this a lot around here. It changed a lot for me, my understanding of God when I became a dad. And, um, and when Jesus, you know, he teaches us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, which was mind-blowing to these people. They had a God, you know, human being perception until Jesus showed up. God's up there, I'm down here. He said, no, you, tell, you, you, you refer to him as, as Daddy, our Father in heaven. And then he goes on later in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if you then, who are evil, you know, not that great, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Like, like in, my, in, my, in my marriage, I want to give my wife the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes I think, why did you do that? I've got to give her the benefit of the doubt and know that she's got a loving reason, you know, for making me eat this or whatever it is that, that, that we're doing, right? She, there's a loving reason behind it. When it comes to God, if I know there's a loving reason because I know he's my father and he loves me, it helps me understand everything else. My verse would be 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, because I like... I tend to worry uh, about things probably more than I should and get anxious. And this verse tells you to cast all your anxiety on him, on God, uh, not just to do it for the sake of doing it, but do it because he really cares for you. And so I, I regularly have to put that in my mind and battle some of the, ang the anxiousness that I get in my life and that doubt and worry. Yeah. For me, it's... Uh... And this may sound like a cop-out, but there are just some of those times when we have to release our, our obsession with certainty, our obsession with getting an answer. And so there's a psalm that helps tremendously with that, and it's Psalm 131. And it says, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with things or matters, great matters, things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. So even when we get into that space where things are above our pay grade, we can trust in the Lord and be content to be with him and know that those things will be brought to a conclusion at some point. So on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he passed it to his disciples, even the ones who doubted, and said, this is my body broken just for you. Take and eat.
In the same way, after the meal, he took a cup of wine. It was the celebration cup from Passover that said, God has won a great victory. And he said, this, this cup, this is my blood that's been shed for you for a new covenant. Take and drink. Father, thank you for these pieces, these very simple ideas and elements. And thank you for what they mean to us now and that you are changing our lives even with our doubts and even with our confusions, you are changing us through your body that strengthens us when we're weak and through your blood that covers over the sins that separate us from you. So bless us as we carry our doubts and maybe some answers from today into this coming week. Help us to live with the grace and goodness that you promise us through your son Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. We stand with me. We're going to close out. And what I want to do is uh, pray for Casey on his way. It's going to be the, you didn't catch that, going to be the lead teaching pastor at Heartland Community Church in Rockford, church, big church our size. Uh, he's going to bring them the word. He's going to help their team figure out the, the sermon schedules and all those things along the way. He's going to be able to lead in a, in a new and amazing way. I'm very, very proud of you. Um, we're excited for what's going to happen. They need him. We need him, but they need him, and this is a great opportunity. So we believe in the priesthood of all believers here. You're a priest, so put your hand out if you would, and let's do a priestly blessing on Casey and Heartland and just pray that as we reach, raise, and release, this is what's going to keep happening uh, across the globe as Parkview has the opportunity to, to bless some people and send them on their way. Lord God, I want to pray for Heartland. I, um, they've got a dear place in my heart. Uh, my kids are working with young people from their staff that all went out to Ventura, California to plant the church. And so it would be very silly for me to try to feel selfish and say, I want Casey to stay here when I want to bless this church that has blessed me in a way that is just, it's just the way it's supposed to go. And I just want to pray for Casey and Holly as they sell their house and as they do all the details, be with Bailey as she changes schools. And I just want to pray a blessing on them, Lord. We, we ask in your name that you will make this a smooth transition. Yes. Be with us as we feel the, the whole of him being gone, even though he's not going to be far away and he'll always be part of us. Just help us as we make this transition. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May he make his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift his countenance upon us and give us peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with us now and forever. Amen. Amen. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for being here. Thanks, you guys.